welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, none other than Ray Vanna, always fascinating, Rebel HQ contributor, all star. Should be a great breakdown. Top story of the day District Attorney Fonnie Willis took the stand, did not have to, was advised not to, according to the narrative. And she decided to give defense counsel the business. Here it is. No, 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 look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused, you think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. And where, um, when did he come to, I guess the condo, I'm not sure what you called it, condo apartment. Um, would he come and stay at that condo or visit you there? I'm sorry, visit you there. What condo, what apartment, I wanna be clear. So not your house. I know you classified one as house and one as condo. So I'm trying to use those terms. So um, there's been more, that, see what you don't understand is because of this case, I gotta move. And so I- Ms. I Merchant, to, if you could ask a more precise question. Yes, please, give me the time period. <laughs> Mr. Wade, visit you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear, cause you lied in this, this let me tell you which one you lied in right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth, Judge. And this, it, it, it is a lie. It is a lie. Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Be back in five. Yeah, going to take them five minutes. Put up the picture full mass. Let me explain a few things here. I know there are people saying, oh my goodness, her mannerism. Oh my goodness. She got emotional. Um, it seems that I have to remind people that her professionalism is not on trial. She is not on trial. The professionalism of Donald Trump is not on trial. But since we're talking about professionalism, Donald Trump has literally called individuals prosecuting him bird brain. He has literally went after judges in violation of his own orders to shut up. He has violated court orders in significant ways. He has also come after witnesses after being told do not come after witnesses on social media or even via reposting other people coming after witnesses. But amazingly, Individuals who support Donald Trump will figure out ways in order to continue to grant him excuse while besmirching the mannerisms of the district attorney, who, by the way, let's keep the main thing the main thing. She is not on trial. This is a motions hearing. And based on the genesis of the motion, the defense has failed. To make the case that she decided to launch an investigation, a prosecution, and hire Mr. Wade in order to financially enrich herself. As a matter of fact, the one thing that is on record is that one year, 60% of his income came outside of Fulton County. The second year, 50% of his income came outside of Fulton County. In order to make the motion stick, you would have to bring in a forensic accountant. And that forensic accountant would then say, you see, this is how much the person made. This is how much the person spent on 
other things in their lives. And this is how much they spent on this individual. This is your taxpayer funded model. The defense knows they can never make that case. So much so, guess who is not testifying? A forensic accountant. Let's continue. Put up the picture full mass again. Um, tensions reached a boiling point on Thursday for the county DA. Finally, Willis took the stand in what's called an evidentiary hearing. This is a motions hearing where you're able to weigh full evidence, probing the extent of her personal relationship with special prosecutor Nathan Wade. Now, remember, this is supposed to establish establish that she, she somehow decided to create a an extremely, an extremely complicated prosecution in order to get money. The hearing marks a critical moment, obviously, for the Georgia election interference case against President Donald Trump and Mr. Michael Roman, who's currently on trial right now. The stakes of the misconduct claim were in full display after Fannie Willis, the DA, decided that she will, in fact, will, in fact, testify. Once again, she did not have to. While Merchant, the attorney for the defense, tried to drill DA Willis about the shared costs associated with her trips and Wade, DA Willis was adamant about addressing allegations about the relationship and legal documents in courts. Quote, while we're talking about professionalism, Merchant filed three different documents that he lived with me. Fani yelled and waved the documents. Let's be clear, because you've lied, DA Willis yelled. It's a lie, it's a lie. Uh, and guess what, it is, it's actually untrue. Um, it's a lie, it is a bad faith motion. Now, why did they file it that way? Because headlines will run with it. They will say exactly what the filing says. It creates liability, it creates a less liability for the paper or the digital publication to simply run with the quote. And so they provide the quote or they live together. There's more. Uh, the hearing was called to determine if the allegations of misuse of public funds. See, that's the part that people are seemingly forgetting in the commentary back and forth. The motion is about the misuse of public funds. That's it. Misuse of public funds are indeed if indeed true, if Willis could face, if true, Willis could face criminal other penalties. Also at stake is Willis's assignment on the case. If the judge rules in favor of Roman's motion, that's the defendant, DA Willis will be disqualified, which would potentially jeopardize the entire case. DA Willis admitted earlier this month that she and Wade had a romantic relationship. That is not in violation of any dynamic in the state of Georgia. It is simply a side eye moment, but it is not in violation of an actual law nor it is, it, is it in violation of the rule of conduct. Willis admitted earlier this month that she did have a romantic relationship, but firmly denied any wrongdoing, calling the allegations listed in Roman's motion completely conjecture. Some key takeaways from the hearings first day on Thursday include witness testimony from a former friend of Willis, as well as Wade's testimony. The witness, her name is Robin Yerty, who said she was Willis's one-time friend before they fell out. 
testified that the relationship between Willis and Wade started before Wade was hired for the case. She said she saw them kissing and engaging romantically as early as November 2019. That has been disputed by Willis and Wade based on the common presentation in court. She is the only one alleging this, meaning Robin, the former friend that fell out. However, during Wade's testimony, he maintained that romance did not start until May 2022. Court filings from Willis state the same thing, which raised questions about whether the relationship truly began before Wade's appointment to the Trump case or afterward. There's also a medical dynamic that's in play here that gives credibility to the claim of Wade and Willis. There's more. Roma's attorney also questioned Wade about financial records that show he used his business credit card to pay for vacations for himself and Willis. But Wade stated Willis would always reimburse him using cash. Uh, this drew the audible laughter of former GOP state chairman and another of Trump's co-defendant, Dave Schaefer, whom Judge McAfee scolded for the outburst. Defense attorneys also questioned whether the relationship was an affair that started while Wade was still married. Wade repeatedly asserted that his marriage was um, irretrievably broken and ended in 2015. He and his estranged wife, Jocelyn, settled their divorce earlier this year. He actually filed for divorce in November 2021, but they were separated or over well before that, years before that. Just one day after he was hired as a prosecutor for the election subversion case, which he called pure coincidence in court. Uh, Wade also testified that his relationship with Willis ended June 2023. He told defense counsel that their relationship was private, but not a secret. We're very good friends. Wade testified probably closer than ever because of these attacks. So let's go back. I, I need to make sure we make the main thing the main thing. This is about the defense counsel catching whiff of a rumor. They call whiff of a rumor. They decided to file a motion predicated on this rumor on the last day you can file a pretrial motion. They were swinging, shooting, just hoping to hit something. And they did. Motions have to possess one of three things. Statement of fact, statement of law, statement of constitutionality. Uh, this motion had none. This motion had pure conjecture. Conjecture and rumor, uh, and even based on the wording of the motion, uh, they had no evidence. They only had a person or two of high credibility that spoke to them about it. They didn't even have an affidavit from a witness. Cop, who police department has said, you know, we had to part ways, a bunch of bigoted, racist messages. You just found this out, put it up full mass. Let me give you the background. See, it's real simple to figure people out. The Oakland Police Department in California announced in a statement that it has parted ways with a new police officer, 30-year-old Jocelyn Chang Newman, after learning of, and, and I'm going to quote them, a series of racist, bigoted, and derogatory statements, end quote. Officer Newman allegedly made these quotes on social media some years back. The department said Officer Newman, who was welcomed last February to the department as one of 18 newly graduated officers from the basic recruit academy. He is quote, no longer employed by the city. After local news outlet Univision 14 brought the allegations to the attention of Oakland police. Isn't that something? You all did not do a basic Google search on the applicant. You all are investigators. 
and did not do basic investigation. Oakland Police's interim assistant chief, he's the assistant chief and the interim assistant chief. So naturally, they put him on TV. Traveling Jones said the following in a video statement, here it is. We're gonna do every single thing that we can to get to the bombings. We have to have people here at the Oakland Police Department that love Oakland and care about the community. We cannot have people here who hold racist, um, hateful views serving our community. And so we give the community our word that we're gonna do everything that we can and look deep into our practices to make sure that wherever the gaps are, that they get fixed and they get fixed immediately. Sir, all you have to do is look up the social media account of individuals who would like to carry a gun and have a license to use it. It doesn't require a deep reflection. It requires a very minimal action. All right, thank God for Univision. So Univision 14 reported the department said it's internally investigating the incident, which involves comments allegedly made by Officer Newman on Facebook about black people and Guatemalans using slurs against them. The post thought to have been created by Officer Newman between 2012 and 2013 were screenshotted by the news outlet and shared with the department on the 2nd of February, resulting in her firing hours later, hours later, okay? There's more. In an interview, however, with the Mercury News, Officer Newman said while weeping that she denied having made those posts. Instead, blaming them on her former husband and the father of her three children. Officer Newman reportedly told the outlet that she had an abuse plagued marriage and that her access to Facebook was limited by him at times. So she has blamed him. Per the interview, she said, and I quote, the way I'm being portrayed is not who I am. How am I going, how am I going go say something so messed up if my brother's half Guatemalan, half Mexican? Question mark. I don't agree with any of the statements. I don't agree with the statement saying I hate black people. I, I don't. And honestly, anyone that knows me well enough or has seen me, they don't perceive me that way because I'm not that way. I don't act like that. Well, well we're talking about in 2012, 2013 now. We're, now, maybe you don't act like that. This is 2024. We're talking about what happened back then. And obviously, um, you know, no one scrubbed the information because according to you, uh, this is no longer the scenario for you. This is a, a past situation. So do you have access to it today? Have you been posting recently? Did you delete the racist post that you knew was on there? Or did you allow it to remain? Which if your story is true, madam, that means that you have by way of your own action, basically signed off on it. Oakland police said in a statement, racism and bigotry are completely contrary to our core values and discrimination and hate speech will not be tolerated under any circumstances. The department said the investigation in collaboration with the Alameda County DA's office will also look into criminal cases that may have been affected by her conduct. Oakland police also said, 
They are reviewing the department's hiring and screening processes, quote, to ensure that the values of potential employees are in alignment with the city and the department. It's really interesting to me, Ravana, that they go really, really complicated on the on the potential solution. We're going to do a deep dive and search our hearts. And we're going to be reflective of this moment. Do you have one person in HR that is going to put the name on a search engine and check their social media? That's it. Do you have somebody that's doing that? Because if you haven't appointed that person, we're going to be here again. Ravana, thoughts? I mean, it's ridiculous. Thinking about the process of becoming a licensed attorney, yeah. they do a thorough background check on everybody. They call your references. They always do. They are, it is a thorough examination because you're given a position of power in society and it is uh you know a position that people could abuse to the detriment of many others so it's important to do those thorough background checks and obviously some you know bad people still get through but less so than for police officers who are given yeah. a badge and a gun and a license to kill without apparently even yeah like you said one person in HR performing a Google search and I would implore everybody watching right now uh I would assume many of whom are not police officers to think about your job and ask if your job had a background check, the answer is probably yes. Your job mm-hmm. might you know, be sending emails for a corporation and that job had a more thorough background check than this major police department. The solution is not complicated, but it does beg the question, why do so many people with racist uh, opinions, bigoted opinions, gravitate towards this field? That is a deeper question that is going to require a long-term response. But preventing these people from getting the job in the first place is so, so simple. Her Facebook wasn't private. They could have just literally Googled her name and found yeah. this, but they didn't care. They didn't care at all. And, you know, massive shout out to the people at Univision for breaking this story and, you know, just for everyone out there, think about how many stories have been broken here on Indisputable or by these news networks. That is something we need to protect in this society because right. you know there's a, a crisis in news media. A lot of people are being laid off and stories like this one won't be broken and these people won't be held accountable without the tireless efforts of, of these journalists. Right, very well said, very well said. A coworker decides to call the cops on another coworker because he believes, well, there's theft of some major items, but it never happened. I'm going to take you to the first video. Here it is. Saw him leave with the box. Saw him come back without the box. He didn't send it. No, it's still, it's still outstanding. Like the shipment still hasn't been scanned in. Just a BCM lower? Just a BCM lower. And what's his description? He said taller black male. 62 black male, all right, 230 pounds. Okay. Um, we'll talk for a second and we'll be in there. Uh, so, how do the owners want to address this with him first? Is that, do I need, we put, is there anything we do to, to slow roll this or? Um, okay. So, what we would do. 
So let, let me game plan with him because I want to make sure he's he's online with everything. But uh, just chill right here. We're gonna talk for a second. Okay. And then, I don't want to put the I don't want to put the owners in in the pickle, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So just give a second. What's your game plan, buddy? So so we took off a bit and we returned without it. Mm-hmm. But the owners have video. Come. Okay, they have video of it. Okay. They don't know if they want to press charges yet, but what kind of charge is this? This would be a grand license. Uh-huh. Stand forward. Yes. Okay. 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 What's that? Yeah. Yeah. What? What's that? What's that? Yeah, you see, he did not steal anything. They could have posed a question or two prior, but as soon as the police heard uh, blackmail, theft, they said, okay, I, I understand what's happening here. But let's let's come up with a game plan. How do you want to run this? They started to literally engage in a conspiracy. About 10 minutes later, what they said had been stolen by him. Well, guess what? It magically appears. Here it is. Saved by the freaking mailman. Hell yeah, appreciate you, sir. Thank you for being cool with me and cooperative with me. Because I'm a man I knew, like, ain't it has to get worried out. Yeah. That kind of thing. And like I said, if that if that happened and you were already in custody, then like you would have just been unarrested back out here. So I'm gonna go in there, talk with them. All right. Energy drink, C4 on the it's right door. C4. What kind? What uh? What uh? I forget what I bought it. Is it the red or the artist? No. Yeah, it's in the uh, sandwich. Okay. So we got the box. Yeah. Where's it at? Can you give us a break? I'm sorry. Can you punch out here for a second? So, 10 minutes after you guys left. This showed up. Can we open it and confirm it's in there? I, I know, but like. Nope. As soon as Paul brought it in, he opened it. Oh, he did? He did. It's in there. I'm really happy that this happened. Yes. Yeah, me too. I don't know what y'all's policy on like THC is here and stuff. He had a weed pen on him. Okay. Um, I was I was initially charging it with that, but they didn't grant it for me. Um, wonderful. Correct serial everything. Okay. Um, can you show me to his office? He wants me to get his car keys. All the stuff's right there. His car keys are right there. He has a C4 energy drink in the fridge. So, it's report number right there. Okay, because I'm going to document the heck out of it. Okay. So it doesn't fall back on you guys. Okay. Roger that. Um, what? So it doesn't fall back on you guys. It should fall back on you guys. What are you talking about? The officer is still saying, you know, he had this uh, marijuana pen thing. I, I was trying to um, charge him with it, but they denied it. They're still trying to bang this guy up. He's completely innocent, did nothing wrong. All he did was show up for work and do the job he was told he was supposed to do. He gets arrested. I don't see one individual inside of that workplace running outside and saying to the dear brother, I'm saying, James, 
we're sorry, James. We apologize, James. We were wrong. We want to make this up to you, James. No. James, however, in a TikTok, provided more context to the story. Here it is. Um, so a package had went out. Um, two weeks go by, no tracking is on the package, so it's missing. Um, they asked about it. I'm like, you know, I really don't know. Check the cameras. You know, it's two weeks ago. I deal with hundreds of packages a day. I'm a shipping manager. Packages didn't have no tracking. Um, they asked me and another associate about it. I'm just telling them check the cameras. I can't remember. Um, so they had checked the cameras um, over the weekend. And um, yeah, it's me walking out with the box, leaving for like six minutes, then coming back without the box. <laughs> In my mind, I dropped it all somewhere. You know, FedEx or UPS. So the, after the weekend, Monday come. Uh, that's the video that y'all see. Yeah, took me downtown, took me to the interrogation room, trying to explain to him my job. You know, I walk, take packages out the front door all the time, just going to FedEx. I guess they didn't believe that because um, at the end, they was charging me that. Wow. Let's put it up for a mask. You see, there's more to this story. Uh, especially concerning the THC pen he had. But let me get into the details about the alleged theft, all right? So according to James Humphrey, the black employee, he was fired because he was accused of larceny of a firearm by his employer, GBRS Group Gear in Virginia Beach, Virginia, all right? His GoFundMe states, falsely accused, terminated from my job and unjustly arrested under false allegations of larceny of a firearm by my employer. My world has been turned upside down. The absurdity of the situation was compounded when the missing item was found a mere 10 minutes after the police took me into custody. In the wake of this ordeal, I have endured immense emotional distress and financial strain. Despite the swift discovery of the item and my innocence, the repercussions have been severe. I have lost my job. My reputation has been tarnished and I am left to pick up the pieces and rebuild my life from scratch. Adding insult to injury, the police officer involved in the case assured my employer that he would document the heck out of the report to absolve them from any potential repercussions, further exacerbating the injustice I have faced. Sounds like a cover up, okay? I refuse to accept this miscarriage of justice lying down. I am committed to fighting for my rights, clearing my name and seeking restitution for the wrongful termination and the damage done to my reputation and livelihood. Um, so he has a GoFundMe, let's put up that GoFundMe. I'm asking uh, anyone and everyone who can, he's only trying to fundraise $10,000. We can make that happen pretty quickly, seeking justice and reconciliation. Um, James Humphrey, A-H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y. That's James, H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y. This is his GoFundMe account. Um, he has a little more than 2,000 in there from last we checked. Um, we can go ahead and, and make um, you know, make something happen on that immediately. Let's keep that GoFundMe up while I say this. He was fired from his job for absolutely no reason. 
They did not give him his job back or they did not try to restore him. We saw the video, they didn't even try to go out and say I'm sorry. And the police, they were complicit. If you are a good faith cop and all of this is happening, you just turned this man's life upside down, you arrested him. You know there's an official charge now because you've already written it up, called it in 10 minutes after you've done all of this. You realize you got an innocent man. Your job is to enforce the law when people break it. Now you know that the man broke no law. He broke no law. Did one officer say, hey guys, is anybody going to go out here and apologize to James and talk to him? Because he's he's really hurt that you all believe that after working here, he would just steal from you. He's not a thief. He's never stolen. He didn't steal this time either. No. It was, well, I'm going to doctor up the police report. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he meant. That's called being on code. They were on code with each other. Isn't that ironic? They were on code with each other and they had never met each other before. That's the first time they were in the presence of each other. They were already on code to harm an innocent human being. Wow. Um, Ravana, I come from a particular place. It's called Glenwood Road. We never, I'm talking about in my immature years, we never, never acted like that. If somebody was wrong, at least we had men in the group who would say that is wrong. But then you have these so-called good guys who often engage in what we clearly see as the beginning of a criminal conspiracy. What say you? I mean, it was truly despicable. You're right, they didn't apologize for wrongfully arresting an innocent man and effectively ruining his life, which I'll get into more in a second. They were apologetic to the racist individual who falsely accused him and they wanted to make his life easier. They wanted to assist him, even knowing that he was wrong. Even once there was irrefutable evidence, the gun is being unwrapped in front of their faces. They cared more about supporting him than the person whose life they just ruined. And I really would encourage anybody who has the ability to, to donate to the GoFundMe because uh, $10,000 is a great start, but I would foresee that that's not going to be enough if he decides he wants to sue, which, yeah. he, you know, in my opinion, he definitely should. But there's all types of things that come after that. I mean, reinstatement is uh, typically a not preferred option if you are successful in proving wrongful termination um, because the relationship has been poisoned. He probably doesn't want to work for this racist, you know, jerk in the future. Self-defense. And this self-defense actually came with some courtesies. Number one, there was a blueprint laid out that said, if you do this, I'm going to do that. Now, typically you don't get that kind of courtesy when you have gone behind the counter in an establishment and you are being aggressive, threatening, 
appearing as if you are attempting to attack someone, typically they do not give you a blueprint of a warning. As a matter of fact, let's go back, let's see it again, point by point. Here it is. Hand your face. Come on, baby. You've been, you've had Come on, take a step right here. I'm gonna punch you. Daniel. Now, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let's put up the picture for mass. And see, right before that happened, the proclamation from the victim was, if you put your foot right there, See, that was already a courtesy given the fact that the customer had violated the no trespass by going to the back of the counter. Once again, the patience of this victim who was targeted and assaulted is quite extreme. Warnings, specific instructions as to what would cause um, immediate defense and allowance of a trespass up to a certain degree. Ravana, how do you see what happened here? It just astounds me time and time again. We'll see these victims of Karenicity lay out very clearly to the Karens hey, if you do this, I'm going to do this, which typically is some variation of beat your ass. But the Karens, they hear that and they think they're immune or something. And they also have, you know, like Venom from Spider-Man talking to them in their head, like, go behind the counter, go behind the counter. They love, they thrive behind the counter, but it never, it never turns out well for them. But they've always got to try it. They've always got to test it. Maybe this time it'll turn out differently. But it almost always ends with getting their asses beat, and rightfully so. And I'll yeah. just say, those uh, pharmacy techs don't make nearly enough money uh, right. to deal with the people that they have to deal with. That's right. Um, and it wasn't excessive. She did not continue after the threat was basically isolated. Uh, very well done. I mean, self-defense, pure and simple. How about this, an officer involved in the death of Mr. Fred Gray. Well, this person is over the integrity unit now, got a promotion, put it up full mass. Baltimore, Alicia White, one of the six cops who was charged, charged with killing Freddie Gray. This happened in 2015, has now been tapped to oversee the Baltimore Police Department's public Integrity Bureau, I kid you not. What does the unit do? They handle all of the misconduct investigations. How in the hell do you put the person in charge of handling misconduct investigations, given the fact that she was charged after being investigated for misconduct? Captain Alicia White's move from the department's anti-crime section gun violence unit to the Public Safety Bureau went into effect February 11th, according to a department news release that announced several other promotions and command changes. White is one of two commanders who will oversee complaints filed by the public against officers 
within the police department, the Baltimore Police Department, according to the Baltimore Banner, which first reported the news of her command change. I want you to understand the mere fact that she's now in charge already suppresses a bunch, a whole lot of future complaints. In Baltimore, if you're in Baltimore, you're saying, okay, this thing happened to me. I need to file a complaint. And the person in charge of the department is the individual who literally was charged with murder. This is insanity. All right, Commissioner Richard Worley, all right, promoted Officer White, excuse me, Captain White, to the rank of captain in August 2022. Quote, I'm proud of each of these promotees and command members. I am looking forward to our continued efforts to in reforming the department, improving police community relations, and working toward full compliance with the consent decree he added. Keep his picture up. You know, sometimes it's not even the thing, it's the way the thing looks that can cause you a promotion. And here's why, you don't have a right to have a promotion. Like it's not some kind of right that must be adhered to. The reality is they did break policy and protocol. That was established, by the way. That's a non-criminal dynamic, that's an administrative dynamic. But they were found to be in violation of their own administrative standards. They disagree with the Baltimore DA at the time, Mosby, who decided to bring charges, with the criminal element. But there was no question that they violated multiple policies that led to the death of Mr. Freddie Gray. So White was one of the six officers charged in connection with the 2015 death of Freddie Gray, a 25 year old black man who was arrested by Baltimore police over his legal possession of a knife. Gray sustained severe injuries while in police custody on April 12th, 2015. He died a week later. Why? Because they gave him something called a rough ride. It's, it's when you know charges won't stick, you stick them in the back of a padded wagon and you hit every bump, you turn sharp on every corner, you basically throw him around in the back of the police vehicle. You harm him, you injure him, you do not put him in a seatbelt. And this was something that we understood because it came out as a cultural thing done by Baltimore PD. Well, in this case, after they severely injured his entire body, he died. Um, the autopsy report said he suffered a single high uh, injury, energy injury to his neck and spine. Gray's death sparked citywide protests and rise across Baltimore as residents protested against police brutality. In 2015, Baltimore officials and attorneys for Gray's family reached what? A $6.4 million settlement over the 25 year old's death. Why did they reach a settlement? Because protocol and policy was broken. That's why they could not defend in court that they followed the law, nor did they follow policy. A year after Gray's death, prosecutors in Baltimore dropped the remaining charges against all six officers after three of them were acquitted at trial by judge. Not by jury, but by judge. Another officer's trial ended with a hung jury. White had faced charges of manslaughter, assault, reckless endangerment, and misconduct before federal prosecutors dropped them ahead of her trial, the Baltimore Banner reported. All six officers involved in Gray's death eventually returned to the department once internal investigations were finished. The Baltimore Sun reported in 2016, the following, following the dismissal of charges against the officers, 
Captain White was the first officer to speak out, defending her actions on the day of Gray's arrest to the Baltimore Sun. Quote, I still believe that. When I went to work that day, I did everything I was trained to do, White told the Sun. Unfortunately, that day someone lost their life, but I feel like everything I was trained to do, I did, end quote. Insanity, even their own investigation found, all right, did you, did you properly utilize the restraints? No. Uh, did you properly adhere to the medical uh, protocol after injury? No. All right, so no, you did not do everything you were trained to do unless they're lying about your training. Okay, Rayvon, a hell of a thing, promotions to when this I, department at that. Right, when I read this headline, I thought it was some kind of sick joke at first because it's just too on the nose for the police. And police officers uh, and their defenders love to say, it's just a few bad apples. And they always stop short uh, of the full phrase, which is a few bad apples spoil the bunch because right. that is exactly what happens here. And when you have these supposed bad apples and then you promote them to a position where they are in charge of handling the investigation into the other bad apples, what kind of culture do you expect to see here? You are explicitly uh, condoning the actions she took that day. You are ele- you are praising those actions she took that day by elevating her to a captain's role and putting her in this massive position of power. It is sick, and we need to you know put a lot of pressure on them to, to fire her. And people of Baltimore, and you yeah. know any anybody who cares about justice in this country should be absolutely outraged. It just yeah. flies in the face of all of the ways that police departments and officers attempt to uh, defend themselves from accusations of, you know, their avoidance of, you know, any sort of oversight on, uh, you know, from the citizens on them. Yep. Just gross. And and believe me, this is intentional. This move was done intentionally. So they put a person in charge of this um, investigative unit for integrity, okay? Uh, put the person in charge who was accused of murder, who was charged with murder by multiple agencies, by the way, um, who did in fact contribute to the death of Mr. Gray. Put that person in charge, right? Send a message to the community, adverse of the community. And that's exactly the game that they're playing here, all right? Breaking news, Donald Trump, former US president, um, has been fined $354.9 million after the civil fraud trial in New York. Let's put it up for a mass. We also have uh, more information. So the judge also has banned Trump from running businesses in New York for three years. His sons, Eric and Donald Jr., received similar bans for two years. Trump and the Trump organization were also banned from applying for loans from any New York financial institution for three years. His lawyer said in a statement, quote, this verdict is a manifest injustice, plain and simple. It is the combination of a multi-year politically feud witch hunt that was designed to take down Donald Trump. Um, before Letitia James ever stepped foot into the Attorney General's office, end quote. Now, uh, Judge um, Arthur uh, Ingeron 
had already ruled the former president inflated his wealth on financial statements given to banks, insurers, and other institutions to make deals and secure loans. Now, if, if you do that, if, if anyone else does that, you go to jail, it's fraud, or it's a criminal charge. It's a criminal statute that coincides with the civil penalty here. Um, obviously, Trump gets to avoid and evade, at least for now, the criminal statute that usually would ride along with this one. Ray Vonna, how do you see this particular verdict and the penalty of it? Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much in line with what we were expecting, you know, reading all the reports from the trial. It really seems like it was a masterclass in incompetence, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Donald Trump, you know, I can't imagine an attorney having an easy time handling him as a client, but you've chosen to take on that job. You've aligned yourself with this man, and now you're left with what you're left with, which is a giant man child who is going to argue that he should be allowed to deliver closing remarks, who's going to repeatedly attack the judge and the judge's law clerks, even after being ordered to uh, to stop doing so. Um, but yeah, the, the legal arguments they presented were ridiculous. You know, when his sons took the stand, uh, essentially their defense was, oh, I didn't know the law. I didn't read the documents before I signed off on them. I had an accountant prepare them, which, you know, I didn't need three years of law school to teach me that that is not <laughs> a way that you can defend yourself. So the whole thing was uh, a circus because of Trump. But you know, it was always going to turn out poorly for him. I believe Alina Habe even yesterday said that she was expecting a not good <laughs> verdict to come down. Uh, and she was right. But yeah, the writing was definitely on the wall. So I'm not surprised. I would have liked to see his inability to to uh, have businesses in New York uh, extended past three years. But, uh, you know, this is pretty much in line with what most of the legal analysts were expecting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so obviously response will come later, but that's breaking now. Florida kids, they have to get permission um, from parents in order to listen to black people or um, have a book uh, that is written by a black person, the list goes on. So let's put up this permission slip. This is an authentic permission slip. Miami-Dade, Miami-Dade County Public Schools. So Chuck Walter, a parent of two daughters at Carroll Way K-8 <clears throat> Bilingual Center in Miami, posted a copy of a permission slip for a read aloud that his daughter would attend and participate in. The slip included the quiet part out loud, quote, Students will participate and listen to a book written by an African-American, end quote. Now, remember, the context is you must give permission. For what? Because the students will listen to a book by an African-American. Nothing else. That's it. This is the permission slip. Walter told NBC News that he gave consent, but insisted that he's never had to sign a permission slip for either child to participate in similar events in the past. Quote, this is an unneeded process by overworked teachers and can create more division among parents, Walter told NBC. So the Miami-Dade Public School actually responded telling TMZ, uh, quote, we realize that the description of the event may have caused confusion. 
And we are working with our schools to reemphasize the importance of clarity for parents in describing activities, events that would require parental permission. However, in compliance with state law, permission slips were sent home because guest speakers would participate during a school authorized education related activity. But hold, wait a minute though. But that's not what the, what the permission slip said. The permission slip said it's because the person's black. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the permission slip said. I'll put in my full mask. Florida State Board of Education Chair Ben Gibson recently sent a letter to the principal of Carroway K through 8 Center, Barbara M. Martin. Gibson letter says that the state rules does require schools to keep parents informed about extracurricular activities their child is participating in. Obviously, it is wrong to interpret the rule to require parental permission for a student to receive ordinary instruction. When Local 10 News first broke the story, the concern from parents was not that kids were being taught African American history, but that the permission slips could possibly keep students from attending events linked to black history or even the Holocaust. Why? Because you gotta be permitted in now, which Never was an issue before. So um, while Gibson, while Gibson says uh, Caraway K through eight uh, is the only school with the problem, the story first came to light after parent at a different school, I Prep Academy, denounced the practice that was wrongly done at that school. Florida Commissioner of Education Manny Diaz Jr. said, "Superintendent has been advised." Um, the book, well, the book which was not shared with the parents on the slip, <laughs> only the fact it was written by a black person, was allegedly chosen to align with Black History Month, which Miami-Dade County Public School Superintendent Jose L. Dotres said he supports in a tweet earlier this month. However, there was no mention of what topics under Black History will be covered. The district blames the new policy on a state law and Board of Education rule. The superintendent publicly said Tuesday that they're seeking clarity from the state. Isn't this amazing that the laws are so damn racist in Florida that people who work in the Florida education system are unaware of what racist law they're supposed to follow one day or the next. And so they're trying to cover themselves because they see exactly what it is. Well, the reason why these laws exist is because they are afraid of black people influencing the system on any level. And so let's go ahead and just call it what it is. Uh, we got a black book being read because that's actually what the law aim was to eliminate or diminish the reality of blackness. Lawyer who represented Flint. Uh, victims, bad mouth the city. Here it is. In 2016, when Bernie ran against Hillary, right. champion uh, Bernie, I had a t-shirt. My kids had t-shirts. Yeah. We were all Bernie <laughs> I, people. I like My Bernie. wife I was like one Bernie. of the Bernie women that you probably like slept Bernie. with. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like so I like Bernie. In 2016, I'm like in Flint, Michigan, fighting for these kids. I'm spending time there. Nobody wants to be there. I'm there every week. All right. Put it up for a mask. Let me give you the background. Interesting story, obviously. Corey Stern, a New York attorney who is representing thousands of Flint, Michigan children who suffered lead poisoning from drinking contaminated water from the city's Flint River, has come under fire for recently resurfaced comments made about the city during a 2018 podcast. The Detroit Free Press 
reported Stern can be heard referring to the city whose majority black population has for several years dealt with the water crisis. He's referring to the city as a ish hole on an episode of the Race Wars podcast that first aired August 2nd, 2018. Now we remember Trump also called African nations ish hole nations, all right? So this guy's using very common language here. In the episode, Stern uses the word to describe the city during a conversation with the host about US Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont and how he was a fan of the Democratic former presidential candidate. The comments were recently brought to attention during a recent episode of the big homie Roland Martin, Roland Martin Unfiltered Digital Public Affairs Program, according to the Detroit Free Press. So after Roland Martin played the soundbite from the 2018 podcast during his show this past week, Kevin Thompson, pastor of the St. Mark Baptist Church of Flint, responded to the comment. Here it is. They have to do their research because uh, if they did their research, they will understand that they, we were the leaders uh, in automobile industry causing the world to turn. This is a, a wonderful city uh, that caused the world to turn. And, you know, it's just it's hard to hear something like that in the city that I'm born and raised in. And I have to stand up uh, for the people um, of the city of Flint. Flint. Well said. Well said, and I want to say this about Roland Martin. Roland Martin and I, we know each other well. We talk offline on occasion. I've been on his program some years back. He's been on my radio show, and I love what his brother does. So understand, just because you don't see us together all the time, it doesn't mean we're not working together, all right? Stern also noted in the podcast episode that he recommended structuring the settlement money in a way that pays the young clients over their lifetime so that they have some steady stream of income. In regards to the potential settlement payouts, one of the podcast hosts then made this joke. Here it is. Especially if these kids had an arrestive development once they had the lead poisoning. You yeah. got a 13-year-old and now he looked yeah. 26. Yeah. But at the same time, now he got a $2 million check. Right. It's going to be some dead prostitutes. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. And a lot of cocaine. Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm going to party with one of these ladies. <laughs> <laughs> lead party. <laughs> beyond unprofessional, beyond insensitive. Okay. There is arrested development, mental processes, neurological processes are adversely impacted by lead poisoning. But I want to ask you this question for those of you who do not see what I'm trying to present here. Do you think that attorney makes that same joke about, let's say, you know, young white girls who have been poisoned, severely neurologically damaged because of a government function or dysfunction? Of course not. Your tone changes. The way you present it changes. The way you feel it and connect to it changes. The only way you can talk about those who are suffering in this manner and laugh about it is if you feel as if they are subhuman. That is my opinion. Stern's resurfaced comments came ahead of the 10-year anniversary of Flint's water crisis in April. Now, I want to remind you, this is supposed to be your advocate. Okay, the Detroit Free Press reported that as of now, no Flint residents, no Flint resident, none has received 
money from the 626 million civil settlement that was approved by a federal judge in 2021. A publicist, one of the Flint contractors said Stern is suing, reportedly shared comments last week about the coverage of Stern's comments on Martin's show. In an email, the Veolia North America spokesperson told Atlanta Black Star that according to an earlier email shared about Stern's comments, Stern was exposed for making derogatory comments about his clients and the city of Flint, even as their case was made, has made him and his fellow lawyers nearly $200 million, end quote. Per the Detroit Free Press, Stern responded to the comments by stating that the contractor took his remarks out of context and accusing the contractor of helping to resurface the old podcast comments to shift the narrative. In ongoing litigation, Stern said in an email statement to the newspaper for years, the company has used uh, the company has used a public relations machine to shift the narrative from their role in the Flint water crisis. In the latest PR maneuver, it is peddling to the media a four-second snippet from a five-year-old podcast. In that podcast, which lasted over an hour, I talked at length about the damage caused by childhood-led poisoning and the tragic outcomes likely to occur for kids in Flint, but the company denies that any children were lead poisoned in Flint and even denies that the water was unsafe. Instead, the company continues to attempt to distract from the role in the water crisis by attacking the lawyers representing the victim. Stern statement read, according to the Detroit Free Press, Boston-based, the Boston-based company said earlier this month that it had reached a $25 million settlement of its role in the Flint water crisis with payments of $1,500 expected to go to individual miners. Um, the thing is, you're dealing with, in my opinion, bad actors, worse actors, okay? Because you have one company with an agenda does not mean you are not responsible for what you said. So let's let's make it plain. We already know what they are. They are adversarial, okay? They are on record for being adversarial. But see, you are on record for being an advocate. Do you understand the difference? And because of that, there's an expectation, a standard that we assume you bring with you. And so that's the reason why people are upset. So you should simply apologize for your damn comments and hope that redemption is available for you within this community and by proxy, those that look like us. All right, Ravonna thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I guess my response to him saying uh, that it was taken out of context is shut the hell up, shut the hell up. You said it, own up to it. And it, you're exactly right. Apologize, yeah. because this is a ridiculous way to frame it. And, and you know, as someone who became a lawyer because I wanted to help people, I've always worked in public interest. Uh, and, you know, I work in it now, and I have clients, you know, working in poverty law who are in desperate, horrible situations. And the idea that I would find some pleasure in laughing about their situations on a podcast makes wow. me mm. nauseous. It's disgusting. <sighs> Disgusting to be able to do that. You should not be in a position where you're right. They should have a better attorney who cares more about them representing their interests, not someone who's going to run to some podcast called Race Wars to denigrate them, denigrate the town that you're supposed to be representing. They need they deserve somebody who who cares about them, who is passionate about them, not someone who just sees them as a job. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well said. And and remember, this was not some recording. 
uh, in private conversation. The man knew he was on a public broadcast. All right, Rayvon, always a pleasure to have your insight and breakdown and analysis. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. Um, everybody can see my videos for Rebel HQ on YouTube and Facebook, and they can also check me out tonight on the second hour of the Power Panel. Always, always a pleasure. All right, Bullpit is next. Stick and stay. All right, she's back. Hannah Cox, president, co-founder, president, co-founder, base politics. Also, libertarian conservative, writer, activist, commentator. And I can vouch for her libertarian credentials. I've seen some, you know, posts I actually kind of agree with online. Good day. Welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to be back with you. Absolutely. All right, let's get right into it. Final Willis testimony, motion to dismiss or disqualify based upon um, a particular dynamic associated with finances. I don't want to presume what you don't believe about the motion or her testimony. So if you would give us your impression, I would then opine. Well, it's a mixed bag for me, Dr. Rishi. I think I don't like prosecutors in general. I think they very rarely face any accountability whatsoever. They have absolute immunity and they get away with highway murder in this country. They have so much power that goes completely unchecked. So I've got a knee jerk reaction just to be against her right from the start for those reasons. I do think when you look at this case, I think of all the cases against Trump, this one in Georgia was the most valid. Thought they had the most like really hang their hat on when it came to the actual facts of the matter of what he did in this state. I absolutely think he tried to tamper with the election. I have friends in the Secretary of State's office here. He did it, right? Like yeah. we know that he did these things, but she really overreached. And I think that this is something we often see prosecutors do when they're trying to make a name for themselves. They come in and they overcharge, they get these big high profile cases. And she really went out of the way to go with RICO charges and all of this extra circus type things that she did instead of just actually charging him on the merits of the case. There was a litany of simple charges. This could have been done already. There was no reason for this to be the complete circus that it ended up being. And now she's got caught up. Look, I don't really know what she did or didn't do. I do know that this particular prosecutor out of the group that she hired is the least qualified and is paid more than the others. It's not a good look. It does appear that they had um, a relationship of some sort. When it comes down to how corrupt is this, how much did this actually impact the case? Is she actually qualified to proceed? I don't know. I think you know you have to expect with these kinds of high profile situations, they're going to be digging for absolutely anything they can find. And certainly it has the look of impropriety and of using taxpayer dollars in a wrongful manner. She's not alone in that. There's there's numerous instances, even in the prosecutor Wade's background, where it appears he's been paid a very pretty penny for very little work by the government in numerous other cases. There was one thing a couple years ago where he was supposed to be investigating actual crimes in our jails and prisons against people's basic civil liberties. And he took no notes for five months, but collected tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer dollars. So I, as a whole, have to say, I guess it's a good thing that there's scrutiny being applied against these people. But I think they really, you know, they messed up. I think Trump deserves to face charges for what he did here. So it's unfortunate. All right, Hannah, so let me tell you where you're incorrect. And let me also make sure that I present the dynamics of court procedure and even the RICO Act. So number one, she could not have charged this as a pure charge of Fulton County. The reason is because her jurisdiction would not have allowed her to go outside of the scope of Fulton County. However, under the state statute rules, if you charge someone under the RICO Act, you are now allowed to connect the dots from Fulton County to Cobb County. Cobb County and Gwinnett County. The reason why this is important is because the co-conspirators 
who have been charged in the case did not all live. As a matter of fact, most of them do not live in Fulton County. And in order to get beyond that particular jurisdictional rule, you must qualify the case as a RICO case that allows you to go statewide. So that's number one, that's the qualification of the case and the RICO Act statutorily applied. Number two, the case is not about if they had a relationship. It has been established that they did. This is not illegal. Nor is it a constitutional violation of Mr. Michael Roman, the man who's currently on trial. The Mr. Michael Roman, his attorney, filed the motion to disqualify Fonnie Willis on the last day that you can file a pretrial motion. They got whiff of a rumor and they filed the motion. The motion is supposed to have one of three elements to be considered valid on face value. Either a statement of fact, a statement of law, or a statement of constitutionality. None were presented. There was no legal violation because there was nothing against the law with two consenting adults in a prosecutorial dynamic. There is no constitutional violation mentioned because Mr. Roman had not and has not had his constitutional rights violated. And there was no statutory dynamic because there's nothing illegal about the process, even though you will likely get the side out for doing it, right? But the motion was given credibility. And once the motion was given credibility, you now have this full evidentiary hearing cycle that you see before you. As she is testifying, of course, she is offended that lies have been told. I mean, literally, there are filings, three filings that say that they live together. These things have been proven to be untrue. And then when we get into the motion itself, because Hannah, I want you to really understand what the motion says. The motion says, because nobody believes the motion. The motion says, DA Fonnie Willis decided to make up a false prosecution, hire Mr. Wade in order to enrich herself financially with a couple of dinners and three trips. Nobody actually believes that, nobody believes it. And so the process of this hearing dives into the financial record of Mr. Wade. What has been proven? Well, in one year that he worked, 60% of his income came external to Fulton County. In another year he worked, 50% of his income came external to Fulton County. The defense knows that there's no there there, you cannot connect the dots. The only way you could connect these dots is if you had a forensic accountant who said the money that was paid to this person, the taxpayer money that went to Mr. Wade came in a way that directly filtered back to Ms. Willis. That is so off the table for the defense. The defense has not even called an expert witness or a forensic expert to testify financially to that dynamic. And lastly, I will say this. When you have a case that has so many moving pieces and all of these elements are being thrown at Mr. Wade, the prosecutor, special prosecutor, Fonnie Willis, and then it becomes about qualification. I need you to understand something. The judge said before the motion, you cannot discuss the qualification of Mr. Wade. And the reason is because she has complete authority to in fact appoint anyone, as the judge said, with a pulse in the bar car. It cannot be grounds for disqualification. And on record, it's not on record that he did not work the hours. What's on record is that he worked more hours than he was paid for, not less. I'm talking about what's on record, not what you just believe in your heart. But what's on record is that he worked more hours than he was actually paid. So at the end of this, at the final conclusion of all of it, let's keep the main thing the main thing. 
Some people may think she acted unprofessionally while giving her particular testimony in defense. I don't think she's been more unprofessional than Donald Trump has by calling those that prosecute him bird brain, by calling them brain dead and violating various contempt orders. So when we talk about leaders, Hannah, we have to contextualize them in the imperfect reality that they are in. I no longer need my leaders to be perfect. I'm glad that there's somebody willing to hold a very powerful person accountable to what we all know, as you just said on my show, was in fact a violation of Georgia law. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Dr. Rishi. I'm gonna have a hard time fighting with you on this because I do think that Trump deserves to face repercussions. And you know, when it comes to the RICO stuff, I understand what you're saying and you're absolutely correct about the legal mechanisms, but that's why I have a problem with RICO in general. It's something that's often been used even by prosecutors like Rudy Giuliani dating all the way back to try to catch people up that they didn't actually have the evidence they needed to have to convict people. And it's one of those things that got put on the books that has allowed us to massively inflate our criminal justice system and put all kinds of people in jail and prison. And you know, in this case, you can argue these people deserve it. Perhaps that's true. But the fact is when you establish a legal precedent, it's often then used against people who don't deserve it. It's used yeah. against shouldn't be caught up. So I don't like RICO as a statute, period, to be very clear. I don't think that it's constitutional. I don't think it's a, I think it's a perversion of our justice system. And I think prosecutors should have to work. I think if they're going to bring charges against somebody, they need to have due process. They need to have actual evidence and they need to have it for every single person that they indict. When it comes to this case, you know, I'm not as familiar with the, the co-defendants as I am Trump. Like I said, I think there's plenty of evidence to convince, to convince Trump of a number of things. But when it comes to some of these lesser defendants, you know, I don't think that that's as important, to be honest, as it was to go after Trump. I wish she would have kept it simple, kept it straight, and just locked this down from the get-go. But you are correct that she hasn't done anything that could actually take away her ability to prosecute this case. And that's, again, because prosecutors, they don't really have many checks and balances on them. The average American has no idea how unilaterally powerful their local district attorney is. I mean, they really have carte blanche power when it comes to who they hire, what cases they're gonna prosecute, what charges they're gonna throw at somebody. And there's very, very little checks and balances for them, even when they actually are breaking the law, which I don't think she's done. But when we've seen actual instances of prosecutorial misconduct, I mean, in 19% of wrongful convictions, prosecutorial misconduct was to blame, and yet nothing happens from them. Yeah. You will very rarely see them disbarred or even brought before the bar to have to, to prove themselves. And so I, I have an issue with the entire infrastructure of prosecutors and DAs. I think this is giving the American people a small uh, behind the scenes look into just how powerful they are. I don't personally think anything's going to happen of this. I think it is bread and circuses all around. I think it's a distraction. And like you said, they're throwing anything they can at the wall to try to get her kicked out, to try to get these charges dropped because they're pretty desperate. The, the merits of this case are pretty strong compared to some of the other ones that have come. I don't I don't think that's going to work that way, just knowing what I know about the legal system, but we'll see. Um, but I, I do wish people would take this moment to recognize that we need some real reform around prosecutors. The, the standards should be higher. There should be more accountability. We should expect more from our leaders. You know, Just because Donald Trump is bottom of the barrel over here doesn't mean that we should accept that from other leaders as well. There needs to be higher standards. We should expect people who have immense power to have character and principles and that there should be a spotlight on their activities that they're answerable to. to to the American people. And I think you and I probably agree on the vast majority of that. 
Yeah, we do. In context, we actually do. Many times on Indisputable, we talk about the out of control power of a prosecutor typically. Also, there is a distinction between the federal RICO statute that someone like former prosecutor Rudy Giuliani used and then the state version of a RICO act, which is basically a jurisdictional dynamic. It is to help you get over jurisdictional boundaries. But it also establishes a connection between individuals who may not have been in the same room at the same time. Um, now, I do proffer this as well. There's significant reform that you and I agree with. For example, um, we agree that there's this uh, overuse of prosecutorial discretion that leads to wrongful convictions. I can't tell you how many times we have covered on indisputable when a prosecutor stepped out of bounds, somebody innocent goes to prison. We cover the aftermath of the person being exonerated, and then we highlight the prosecutors who were involved. And guess what? Many of them are still prosecuting. Only a couple of times have we been able to report that a prosecutor has either A, been charged, or B, there was a disciplinary process launched by their state bar. And then number two, and I want to ask you this question about just the practice in general. Right now, many states, if you are a law enforcement officer or even an elected official, If there's a grand jury proceeding against you, you get to testify to that grand jury by law. You are mandated that right. I'm not mandated that right. You would not be mandated that right. That's a reform element as well. What say you about that? I love that you brought this up. I have such a big problem with the entire process around these jury proceedings. They are so secretive. They are so privileged, the people who get to be um, not only presenting their testimony and weighing in, but just who get to be privy to what's even said within them. They they frequently don't even allow basic reporters and journalists inside of yep. them, which is a, a extreme violation of all of our rights to freedom of information and a freedom of the press rights. So I have such a huge issue with that. And I'll add one more thing to it that's sort of in the same vein. But I mentioned prosecutors, they, they mostly have absolute immunity, but pretty much all members of law enforcement have what's called qualified immunity to where when they do something something wrong. They violate your rights. They shoot you. They harm you. They can't be sued. The Supreme Court just made this doctrine up a couple decades ago and said that basically, unless you can find an exact case in history where another government official did that exact same thing, you have no legal recourse to actually hold that person accountable for their actions. It's a grotesque perversion of the Constitution. And it's one of the, these are some of the biggest things on the books that until they change, we can't get real change in this country. We can't get reform. We can't get a hold of these government actors who are completely out of control and trampling our basic civil liberties. And I, these are things I'm so glad you're using your show to elevate because the average American has no idea that this happens or this is on the books until they're at the end of the barrel, right? From the gun, from the government. And then they're like, wait, how is this happening? How is this a real thing? Because we, they don't even know it got put on the books, but um, it's yeah, really gross injustices that we need to contend with. Very well said, and these systems correct other systems. So if you get this part correct, these other systems correct themselves. And that's the cause and effect relationship. Um, I always appreciate you on the show. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, but you always know why you believe what you believe. And to me, that matters. I appreciate all that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rishi. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.